Hello there and welcome to the Adipec Energy Dialogues, a series of conversations with experts from the oil and gas and the energy sector around the world to keep you up to date. All this, of course, in the run-up to Adipec 2020 that will be coming to you virtually. So we're very excited to be here and to have you all with us. And I'm absolutely delighted now to be able to welcome the president of Total EMP in the UAE and the country chair here in the UAE for Total, Christoph Sassolas. Thank you so much, Christoph, for joining us. Thank you, Esnawa. Delighted to be here with you. Now, like any other, I was going to say any other oil company, like any other company in the world. I mean, 2020 has been a rather tough year. I think everybody has had to, to brave up and be very, very resilient here. But how has 2020, you know, impacted, you know, your strategic plans, I guess, and when you're looking to the future, what did you have in place that maybe was shook up a little bit and what have you had to adjust to? Well, of, of course, uh, uh, the, the COVID crisis was something totally unexpected uh, for, for all of us. And uh, the prime response has been to take care of our people, uh, the health, the safety of our people. And I want, to, uh, I want to acknowledge, I mean, we've had a lot of frontline workers offshore on the site uh, that extended their rotation, that work hard to preserve the supply of energy to, uh, to every one of us and, uh, and the world over. So that's been obviously the prime uh, the prime thing uh, that was on our focus today, it's business continuity and the continuity of, of energy supply. That's of course the energy industry and we, we're no exceptions, uh, make decision in the mid to long term. Uh, and we've been able to keep that horizons um, throughout throughout the year and to um, actually accelerate on, on many on many fronts, uh, our transfer, the transformation of the company. And uh, of course, looking at the consumption patterns and uh, whether they may have uh, they may have evolved um, uh, throughout this year. So, uh, so really, uh, it's it's really a long keeping the long term has been uh, has been key in our in our in our decision making process. And of course, this is your region, and um, Total has been, you know, very steady here in the UAE. It's an important region for Total. Talk to me a little bit about the UAE, particularly, and indeed the development of many of the projects that are going on right now. Well, of course, the UAE, as you know, is the, is the birthplace of Total. And uh, um, I, I actually use the word cradle because it's, it's the cradle from which we have grown uh, and in parallel with, with the country and with the region. So we move from oil to uh, gas, to uh, uh, power, to renewables, to solar within the country. So it's, it's kind of a parallel uh, evolution or a parallel childhood that we had. And uh, the UAE and the UAE and the Middle East in general remains very much the prime focus of Total. And if, if I want to, if I had to give one reason, uh, it's the access to uh, the resources. I mean, oil, gas, and solar. Uh, we are in the lowest uh, cost, uh, the easiest resources in the world. And uh, it's also when we look at, you know, the, the more energy and less carbon. If you look at, for example, all resources, they're the lowest CO2 emission per unit per barrel in the region. So. Uh, if there was one single reason why for the foreseeable future, the uh, UAE and the Middle East will remain a prime focus for Total is, is that one. And talk to us about some of the, the major projects that are going on and, and have been going on here for the last few years. Well, I mean, we're, you know, we're the number one, we pride ourselves to be the number one partner of Annog. So we, uh, we're working very hard to, uh, to uh, increase and help Annog enhance the production uh, as part of the, the four and five million barrels uh, target. And we're also very active, as you know, in trying to unleash some of the gas potential of the UAE uh, as part of, the, of, this, of that second uh, target that the country had set ourselves. So uh, we're working on all fronts. 
uh, increasing production, unleashing the gas and lowering the CO2 emission. That's really the, uh, the motto and every single project goes around those three axes. Indeed it is. It's a, it's the double mission, as you say, the three, the three axes. Very important that everybody keeps on top of that. And again, a way to keep on top of that technology. But often when we've spoken before, you've always said technology is an enabler. So talk to me a little bit about how you, you know, put it into that perspective here, because I'm, I'm very interested and I'm sure our viewers will be. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think I've used that word before, but technology is not a, is not a goal in itself. I mean, the goal, our goal uh, with our partners is to provide more energy and less carbon to the world. So we need to lower our cost and, uh, and increase uh, and lower our, our emissions. And uh, I think more than technology, uh, there's two elements that are very important. One is to uh, ensure that our organization have those two goals very much uh, embedded into the entire organization because it's, uh, it's the operator in the control room that uh, twisted the knob and is able to lower the emission by, by optimizing all the time. It is also um, uh, having an organization that's, that for me would be the second element that is open to, um, to, to innovation and to actually changing the way we're doing things. And, uh, and if I may, I will, I will give you an example. I mean, uh, because it Please. goes beyond our organization, it goes into our ecosystem. I was uh, last week uh, offshore in one of our platform and um, one of uh, my staff was saying, well, I, we can do today remote inspection. We can use remote sensors. We can use remote camera to, to uh, conduct the inspection, for example, of the turbines. But one of the problem we're facing is that the vendor of that turbine does not extend the warranty unless he sends somebody physically. So for me, the industry, it's very typical of the industry. Uh, we are using, we are living in the, in the age of digital tools, but we're kind of living it the old ways. And there's still a lot to remains to be done to uh, harness the full power of that. And sometimes it doesn't come from technology itself, but from the way we partner, the way we uh, arrange and the entire ecosystem of an industry. And we really need to move forward on that. Indeed. And again, I think it comes back to, to making sure you've got the best qualified people in place, and of course, the best technology, because one is, is not going to, to manage without the other. But obviously, the energy transition is a huge focus for every oil and gas company around the world, and particularly the major IOCs, of course, you being one of them. But there has been you know, a shift in the last few years, really, looking at not just oil and gas companies, and even your CEO has talked about it, but becoming an energy company. I mean, this, I suppose, at the very heart of you providing energy to the world in a clean, safe, and affordable manner. But talk to me a little bit about that need to maybe shift perspective, because ultimately you all have a, a bright future ahead of you. And it's something I think that, that every company really has to, has to own and to live. Well, Patrick actually uh, talks about Total being an energies with an S company, not an energy company. Uh, and I think the S is very important uh, because at the end, our, 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 our customers, uh, they don't necessarily buy oil, gas, they buy energies and in various form. And uh, actually a successful oil and gas company today, and uh, in the case of Total, I would say we're today more a gas, oil and electrons company. So the consumer will buy either a liquid, uh, a gaseous or an electron, uh, but he will buy energy. And I believe, uh, and first we have to adapt to that transformation of the usage. Uh, you know, the, the prime goal is to respond to, uh, to the consumer uh, demand and the consumer is changing. Uh, there's more electrification in this world going on at the, at the pace that of course you, uh, you might have different view, but it, it, it is happening. So you have to change the way you're delivering energy to the, to the customer. 
And that plus the, uh, the net zero uh, challenge, the net zero carbon challenge, uh, we believe uh, at Total we have the skills for that. Uh, we know electricity, we know uh, marine architecture for wind farms offshore. Uh, we have the, um, the, the reach, the financial capability, uh, the skill set to develop, uh, engineer, deliver project of, uh, of scales that is needed to achieve the energy transition. So uh, uh, I really believe that uh, we, uh, we, um, we, have, we have all the legitimacy to, uh, to, uh, to be a, a strong actor on that. And by the way, we, uh, we took net zero commitments uh, on several of our scope one and scope two, and some of them in scope one and scope two are within our control. Scope three is something, and, and maybe we will talk about that later, but that needs more partnership, but more different kind of partnership to, to be achieved. And indeed, looking at, you know, as you said, scope one and two, which you can actually manage very well, but even widening that to scope three. And also, I think the changing face of the consumer who is ultimately your consumer. I mean, I think sometimes you see, you know, the oil and gas or now I, I like this new in the energies, the variety of energies that you can actually put out there. But it is, it's, it's a different consumer now. They have choice. And again, it's about companies actually surviving and thriving and offering, you know, the products out there to make sure that uh, you still have a, a good life ahead. But talk to me about what you can do, hopefully, you know, working with those partnerships further down the supply chain to make sure that scope three is looked at. Well, I, I have a belief that uh, when we talk about partnerships, historically, the, the oil and gas industry when you, when you use the word partnership, you're talking about partnership beyond be, between IOCs, between NOCs, sometimes with suppliers. And the prime goal was to uh, reduce the risk, share the risk, was to uh, harness technology. Uh, I think the net zero carbon challenge that we have ahead of us will probably uh, uh, imply a different kind of partnerships. Uh, we will need, especially for scope three, we will need to partner with other industries, with the car industries with the airline industry and at some time even to the to the customer directly so that's a very capillary partnership approach and again i would like to give you an example i mean a few years ago we uh, we started a, a joint venture in the us called uh, clean energy uh, which uh, the, the principle is to uh, finance uh, the truck companies to uh, have their truck their engines being uh, switched to lng rather than diesel and you actually repay that investment. Uh, we get that investment repaid through uh, pricing the LNG at the retail station a bit higher the LNG price and a bit lower than the diesel price. And so you're accelerating the, you're, you're working toward the net zero challenge by partnering directly with the end customer, which is the truck company. And that's the kind of partnership that I will, I, I foresee we'll, we'll see an increase in the future. And that needs a bit of a different approach uh, to face that. And of course, when we look around the world and we look at that diversification of energy, I mean, it's about oil, um, but we're also seeing a lot more dependency on gas because when we look at a cleaner fuel and hopefully the, the fuel of transition and hopefully a destination fuel, I think for many of the companies, but gas is beginning to, to get a lot more notice, I think by the consumer ultimately. What do you say? Yeah, well, um, um... The more you have renewable on the power grids, and we know electrification will lead to more renewables, the more you will need to balance the intermittency of renewable by a rapid uh, dispatchable energy, and that's gas. And I think you've seen, uh, for example, this summer, some, uh, some difficulty in some local grids, for example, in California, that have, I think put that back into the radar of, uh, of many uh, regulators that you need more gas uh, in the system as you grow your renewable share. And so we, we've always believed in that. 
uh, we believe gas has a very uh, big role to play to uh, in that electrification trend uh, because as you know today 80% of the gas in the world is used for power generation so uh, yes we believe in uh, in uh, in, in gas and in the growth of gas and uh, as, as really uh, uh, one of the many solutions to achieve uh, the challenge of more energy and less carbon, definitely. And indeed at the moment, I think there is, you know, we look at population projections, energy demand growth, and also we see hydrocarbons definitely in there as part of that mix going forward and, and, and a necessary part. But there's a lot more discussion now. I mean, we're hearing it from uh, the IEA. We're hearing it from all of the big key players from many of the international oil companies as well about peak oil demand. I mean, how can you plan for these scenarios and how is this impacting your business? Yeah. Well, the good thing is, well, the good thing or the one thing to note is um, that a few years ago, we were talking about peak oil, peak oil, peak oil production and not peak oil demand. So at least there's been a switch in a, uh, in the public debate on that. And I think everybody now is talking about peak oil demand. So predicting all demand and supply has always been very difficult. It's actually impossible in the short term. I mean, this year has been a typical example. It's a bit more predictable in the, in the longer term. And it's true that if you look at all the scenarios of the IEA and even our own total projection, uh, there's one what we call momentum and rupture, two different scenarios. Uh, in the two scenarios, you see um, uh, an increase in electrification, as I said. Uh, that will lead to probably a, a, a plateauing all demand by 2003 or something. And thereafter, probably a decrease. The extent of that decrease, of course, depends on a lot of the regulatory approach around the world. It depends also probably on the extent of the current sanitary crisis, because the more you have COVID restriction worldwide, the more some of the behavior that we have now as consumer will be more entrenched. Uh, the more home working will be entrenched if it lasts too long. So there's a bit of a, of a tipping point now. But in that world, we still need oil, of course. So in our projection by 2030, we will be probably at the same, uh, at the same level. Uh, and because you know all the investment needed to just maintain the production, people often forget that uh, our industry, if you stop investing and you've, you've seen a drastic drop of investment compared to, uh, we we're less than half of the level of investment. I mean, we used to be at 7 billion roughly in 2014. We're probably going to hand a year at 300 billion in terms of upstream investment. It's definitely not enough even to, uh, uh, to maintain that level of production. So in our in our own um, in if and if in humanity, in our own uh, plan for 2030, uh, we do have uh, we produce roughly uh, 1.5 million of oil today out of the three million of barrel of oil equivalent that total is on a global scale, and we we will our target is to maintain 1.5 million by 2030, uh, to and to increase the share of gas to two million and to have an equivalent share of, of electricity. So it's always weird to transform into a barrel per oil, but about half a million of barrel of oil equivalent of renewable energy by, uh, by that time, of electricity, sorry, by that time. Indeed. And again, it all comes down to the, the various energies that actually have to be produced to meet that growing demand. Just before we go, and I mean, you talked there about investment and the need for more investment. And I'm hearing that right across the board right now. And the danger of pulling back um, investment right now is, you know, that we could be paying for this later and paying for this in the future. So it's a long-term industry. You really have to be looking for the long-term. But as you look forward and look forward to 2021, when hopefully we are going to see a bit of demand come back into the market. And I think in many areas, we're beginning to see that, but we're, we still have to get those long-term projections. What do you need to be doing? And what do you think you know, the industry needs to be doing and collectively 
with with your partners, with policymakers, to just make sure that you can actually supply energy to the world. Yeah, we've got we've got to, I mean we've got to be careful a bit about 2021 because as as we just discussed the extent of the, the not the extent but the duration of the various measure the border closing the various lockdowns and the impact of the sanitary crisis it's very uncertain. Uh, I mean a few months ago we were expecting by year hand now you see increasingly people talking about mid next year or even 2022 and of course that has an impact you've seen air traffic you've seen uh, car traffic in the big cities. So uh, I think we need to be careful as an industry about next year and not and preserving our financial capability because uh, reacting, reinvesting too quickly next year uh, might lead to uh, just us not being in a position to invest in the long run. So in total, we've been very cautious about next year planning. Uh, also with the basic principle, it's always easier in our organization to uh, uh, relax a bit as the year goes than to tighten more. Uh, you, you tend to be, a, it's a bit more difficult. So uh, 2021, we see it as a very difficult year going forward and we need collectively to be very cautious in terms of, uh, you know, you've got, you've got a lot of stocks out there today. So uh, not uh, creating a, an even worse situation than it is today. Uh, and OPEC is actually doing a very good job today of trying to controlling that. Uh, so uh, it's 2021, I think, is a, is a, is a cautious year. The investment will be needed, but if we start very too quickly, too fast, it might be detrimental to the industry as a whole. So. so indeed, the challenges that are out there, as over the years, there are always challenges in this industry. But again, I think time and time again, the industry has, has shown its resilience. And this time, it probably has to have a bit more patience because this recovery, as we're beginning to see, it will probably be a slow one. But again, we wish you... All the best of luck, um, particularly with all your work here. We're delighted that we have you here in the region and we'll hopefully hear a lot more from you in the months to come. So Christoph Sassolis from Total, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Esna. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And just to all of you watching too, I want to thank you all for being with us in this edition of Adipec Energy Dialogues. We're delighted to bring you up to date from time to time, keeping you up to date with trends and news in the energy industry. And it was great there to get the perspective of Total. And of course, all this in the run-up to Adipec 2020, Adipec Virtual 2020. So we're excited to make sure that you join us very, very shortly. So keep in touch and we'll keep you up to date with what's going on. So from myself, Ethna Trainer, and all of the team here at Adipec Energy Dialogues, Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you.